All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. I have a lot of things to share with you in my conversation with Dia today. It's going to be incredible. We're going to go over writing on a typewriter. We're going to talk about repetition as a process. We're going to talk about spontaneity. And my favorite thing of all we're going to talk about is bombing productively. Will we be able to write a joke together? Who knows? Stay tuned. How to write a joke. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to How to Write a Joke, a podcast about jokes and the people who write them. My name is Cassidy Kulhanik, and I am a comedian based in Chicago, Illinois. And while I love telling jokes, I've got to be honest, I'm not so great at the act of sitting down and writing them. That's why every episode, I'm going to bring on a guest whose joke writing ability I deeply admire, and I'm going to do my best to learn a thing or two from them. Our first guest is someone who I look up to a lot and someone that I consider one of my best friends. He released an incredible special last year called The Yard Presents Dia Basrai, which can be viewed entirely on YouTube and seriously, check it out. It's subversive, hilarious, and coyly genius. He's a comedian and a producer. He contributes to The Onion. He's a scientist. He does it all. Please welcome my friend and yours, Dia Basrai. Hey, Cassidy. Thanks for having me. That was a really sweet intro. Oh, you're a sweet person. You deserve that. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Pretty classic. You know, this is what I do every Saturday. Record. Yeah, yeah. You and all your mini podcasts that you do. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for being our inaugural guest. I'm so excited that I get to talk to you of all people before anyone else. Of course. I'm excited excited for the questions. Yeah. uh, The viewers viewers uh listeners might not know but dia was one of my first friends in chicago comedy and i feel like we've kind of grown up together in the scene which has been really awesome Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. to like help each other and to work with each other and i've gotten to see you transform so much over time and it's been so exciting to watch you grow and i'm just i'm so excited both to be your friend and to be able to pick your brain today thanks no i i remember fondly that uh that roost open mic where I met you. Yes, uh, where you could you could earn food by singing karaoke songs. It should be a rule at every, <laughs> every open mic. Yeah, you should have a karaoke option at open mics, actually, where you can earn an extra minute if you do a song before you're set. <laughs> but anyway, are you ready to dive into the questions? Let's do it. Awesome. All right, so let's start with asking some softball questions. Uh, first off, how long have you been writing comedy, whether it be stand-up, satire, or otherwise? I've been doing it about eight years. Started when I was eighteen, and I'm twenty six now. Yes, and I've been doing it pretty consistently since then. So awesome! And what inspired you to begin writing comedy? Um, I liked writing fiction and short fiction before I started college, and I had a friend who did, uh, who did, who, as a high schooler, tried an open mic and kind of went with him once, and uh, kind of starting college, I wanted to continue writing, and there was like. A freshman seminar class where someone you take it's pretty much a stand-up class in my college I did that and then pretty much I've been doing stand-up ever since was that a part of the core curriculum at your college yeah if <laughs> you, you have to take biology you have to take uh, like German and then you have to take stand-up <laughs> yeah, kind, of kind of a weeder class yeah <laughs> you don't got it was that uh was that where you first performed stand-up was it at your college uh yeah I think maybe my first open mic was uh kind of an open mic near my parents' house 
during the time I started taking the class, and then maybe my I think my second time performing was the sort of final for the class where you oh, cool. perform for the other people in it. My uh, my first time performing stand up was in a class too, but it was uh, not in college. It was um, in my fourth grade talent show. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and I did not do original material. I just told jokes. I was really into watching like Comedy Central stand up uh-huh, when I was in uh-huh. fourth grade, which I should not have been watching at that age, but I was, uh, and I I did a bunch of Ellen DeGeneres jokes <laughs> as a part of my fourth grade talent show and they did not land. Yeah. Stealing doesn't count if you're under, uh, under 12 years old. You know, I thought of it less like plagiarism and more like a cover set. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, so we, we mentioned that you do like satirical writing, you write for the onion. Uh, how much crossover is there between your satirical writing and the writing that you do for stand up? Pretty much none. It feels very different. Um, yeah, almost. I feel like the premises that work for the onion stuff um, are pretty observational. And weirdly enough, I don't really do very observational stuff in my stand-up. So it it felt pre- it feels pretty obvious when an idea is for um, onion stuff or for uh, for stand-up. So you never find yourself writing something and being like, "Oh, this would be better on stage," or. I guess sometimes I do, but uh, it, it it just wouldn't work for the onions. I'll start writing an idea, and it really wouldn't be able to turn into a headline or something. And this is why I've never gotten anything into the onion. Uh, <laughs> You're a pure stand-up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do nothing except stand-up. I'm pure. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, I want to I wanna talk about your actual writing routine, if mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, do you have a regularly scheduled time of day that you write? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of what I try to do, although it doesn't happen every day, is I usually wake up in the morning and try and do about 15 to 20 minutes of some sort of writing. I have, like, a typewriter where I it, it stops me from erasing and editing, where I kind of do, like, a mix of stream of conscious or expanding on an idea. And I try to do it about 15 to 20 minutes every morning. I do it about most days a week. That's awesome. Not too I, consistent. I love that you write on a typewriter. I love using a typewriter. I've never used it for stand-up. Uh, it really changed how it, because I had this issue where I, I have really messy handwriting and I wrote too slow. So whenever I wrote with a notebook, I feel uh, my, I think faster than I write. And when I write on a computer, I end up editing. I just hate, I you're allowed to delete it. So I'd write a sentence and I hate it and I just delete it. And yeah. I'd, at the end I'd have a blank page. Yeah, I I used to use typewriters a lot for like visual art and yeah. stuff like that. And I have tried writing, even just like writing letters to people on typewriters and mm-hmm. stuff. And I find that because it's such a like tactile and visceral act to yes. use a typewriter, that it is very, um, like it's it's fun. Like it, it becomes distracting because I start playing with it. And no, so... it's the best. It feels like you can hear you're on a roll. You just hear the clats come faster and faster. Say, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm I'm writing. I'm having some ideas. It becomes kind of like a game or something. But yeah. I'll have to try that. That's an incredible idea. And the fact that it prevents you from like going back and defeating yourself in the process, like yeah. it makes you keep everything. That's brilliant. No, I it, I I like it a lot. I've been doing it for a couple of years now, and I've always kind of struggled because usually I used to write just by like taking walks and thinking. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I'd have ideas, but a lot of stuff would drain away, so I wouldn't write it down. But when I would write stuff down, it would kind of s- slow me down. I would like get lot. I would get stuck trying to jot down the full idea. That's awesome. It's kind of a nice middle ground. 
That reminds me, I don't remember who I was reading. I was reading someone's advice about screenwriting, and they said something very similar about how you shouldn't write your first draft where you can see what all you've written. You yeah. should be writing it in a way that like you can only see the line that you're currently on. Yes, yes. And that way you're you're constantly pushing forward. You're not going backwards and erasing or editing. You're only getting that first draft, no matter what the word vomit is, just get it on the page. No, it works really well. And a typewriter yeah. naturally, the paper curls away, so you can't really see your old That's terrible writing. That's a brilliant there. idea. Oh my God, I'm gonna write that down right now. Typewriter. Yeah, uh, should write down on a typewriter. <laughs> I should, should bring one in here. I should have brought one in here. That would have sounded great on the microphones, <laughs> actually, I'm sure. This is actually just going to turn into um, an ASMR typewriter podcast. Which, th there's, a, there's a niche for that. <laughs> okay, well, we're not going to appeal to certain types of audiences here. We're, <laughs> we're going to get back to work. Um, so when you're writing, do you have any like writing exercises that you use to wake your brain up or like get into the mindset? Not really. I don't do any exercises, but I usually have I have like a list of ideas, and mm -hmm. I always start off a pre-existing idea, and I sometimes just rewrite the idea I had, a re a, like almost verbatim. Like I'll have it jotted down somewhere. I'll just start by retyping it out, and usually by retyping it out, it kind of gets the momentum going, to sort of keep going from there. So I try. I I I found like kind of writing the first things was pretty hard and I get some momentum going by kind of rewriting a line I had written before. Sure. That's pretty much the only organized structure I do. But other than that, I pretty much, I would kind of have some idea whether I want to have a new idea or I want to build on a premise that I'm working out. And those kind of, uh, are like the two paths and they both feel very different. Sometimes with the new idea, it's really hard to uh, get anything down. But usually when I'm building, I uh, kind of know what needs, what blanks need to be filled in. And I'll kind of write a bunch of lines on kind of the same sort of, trying to work out a joke. I'll write a bunch of variations. Yeah, I find myself when I'm writing, uh if I feel like I have something, but I haven't gotten it to where I want it to be yet, yeah. like I'll start with a joke and say that I have like A and B, but I don't have C yet, yeah. but maybe I have D. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll write A, B, and D, and then I'll rewrite it, and then I'll rewrite it, and I'll change, like I'll try to find C by interjecting like different things every single time I rewrite it, but Completely. I'll keep the core of it. Uh, but Yeah, I do something, I definitely do something similar. Um, yeah. I find it very helpful to even like go re-say, yeah, what, what you already know works like in your head or even on the page and then kind of build out organically from there instead of just trying to write C from scratch. Totally. There. You know what's funny is I didn't discover that as a writing tactic. I discovered that as a memorization tactic. Right, because right, Because when totally. I was in school, I would rewrite things over and over again to memorize them. Yeah. And that was how I learned to memorize things for the stage. I would just rewrite them over and over again. And eventually I discovered through that that like I would make small tweaks each time I rewrote it. And yeah. I would make the jokes better. And so. I think it helps for stand-up because stand like the, the new line builds on the old line. Yeah. And sometimes you'll, you'll, if you just write a line in isolation... You don't un you underestimate the way that the what is said previously bleeds into it or what sort of context there is. I feel like uh, I always try to when I write a joke, even if I'm adding on, I try to start from the from the beginning of the joke to kind of have my brain know what like yeah what context what has been said before, um, and it usually makes the new line kind of fit in 
um, much more seamlessly than if I was just like, okay, I need to have a joke here and trying to write it out just totally. from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I love that we share that. Wow, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. so similar. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to do this. I'll, I should ask you for. Oh, you know what? You t- you take the questions. Yeah. You ask the questions. <laughs> Um, I have, uh, I have another question for you. Um, and maybe, maybe this won't be because you have such a structured routine. Maybe this won't be wholly applicable to your process, but, um, I, as a writer, one of my struggles is that I don't have a structured routine like yours. And I find myself writing when I'm prompted by things. So I can go very long periods without writing anything because I'm kind of like not being jarred or uh like not being inspired to write something new um do you find yourself writing better when you're just in your routine or when you have something that like is triggering you to write like something that has inspired you totally i think it it's uh definitely the last means there's times where i have good ideas and times being like periods of weeks or Honestly, good ideas are in the period of days, and I have weeks of having no good ideas. I've sort of always been the belief that those waxing and waning periods happen, but uh, they the 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 waxing periods happen more frequently when you're kind of consistent at doing the thing. And I'm just kind of a big believer in like I don't quite think too much of whether what I'm writing is good or bad or whether I'm being productive or unproductive. Oh, you're so much better than me at this. Well, yeah, and I, <laughs> I, and I just more think of things on larger, I try to think of things on larger time scales where I'm like, over a period of six months, there'll be some good things happening. Mm-hmm. And if I write every day, after six months, there'll be some good jokes yeah. written. But definitely, I mean, on a practical side, in the best, most of the things that make it on stage are not written during the routine. It's written... Um, in those little moments where you're just thinking about it and then you get the idea and then it's almost fully finished. Totally. Um, yeah. I have so, some hope that uh, that the little routine adds to that. Spont- the spontaneous good ideas come because a lot of the sort of fog has been dumped onto the page earlier in the morning. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I um, This, this makes me think of a new question for you um, that I think – Listeners who don't know your comedy um, might not know this. I know this about you, but you are you are a writer's writer. Like you are a very pre-written material type stand-up. Like you don't do crowd work. Like yeah. you are not improvisational on stage, really, uh-huh, uh-huh. and which is not a bad thing. You're just a very structured writer. Yeah. Um, but do you ever find yourself writing on stage? Like, do you ever find yourself modifying jokes on stage and making them like adding tags or like doing things to change them that you keep later? Yeah, I definitely write. uh, I definitely do spontaneous stuff on stage. Almost none of it is good, but I try and do that because when I go to shows or go to my, sometimes I don't have new pre-written stuff, but in order to sort of be more comfortable saying the rougher pre-written stuff. I try to be happy being rougher on stage. So yeah. sometimes I'll go up there with not fully formed ideas and then I'll do badly. And then it'll motivate me to go home and try and write out something good. Um, and I find that more productive than going on stage, not ha- really having pre- a pre-written new stuff than doing only old stuff I know works. Mm-hmm. Um, it also just makes me more comfortable to do bad stuff on stage which I think is important to develop new jokes yes like by not doing things by 
I don't write on stage, but I do things I'm not happy with constantly on yeah. stage. And I think that helps me, um, yeah, work through new ideas. So very rarely does what I say on stage end up sticking if mm-hmm. if it ends up new. But many times I'll, I won't have time to write out full sentences of what I want to say before. Then I'll kind of stumble through it on stage. But the little lines I had written or thought of before, they can be evaluated, even if all the the mess and the stumbling in between probably gets 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 dumped after the set sure i'm gonna say something and it's gonna sound worse than i mean for it to sound Mm -hmm. uh and i hope you know that this is coming from a place of love uh but you are one of my favorite people to watch bomb yes uh (laughs) because when you i've never really seen you bomb like honestly bomb because i feel like you always recover really well and if you aren't if a set's not going your way you're really good at like pivoting back to material that you know is strong like i've never seen you just have a full bomb set but I love when I get to see you working out material that isn't fully formed yet. And I love when I get to see you doing things that the audience isn't responding to because I can really see the wheels turning in your head. Like yeah, I can yeah. I can watch you analyze in the moment what's happening and I can see you I can see you like not dissatisfied, but you are understanding. Like you're re- you're reacting to what's not working and you're figuring it out on stage and it's so impressive. Thanks. Yeah, and I I honestly really feel like uh, bombing on stage. It is the first. It is when you're doing poorly and saying stuff you're that is kind of sloppy. Is really the first time you can hear yourself as an audience member. Sometimes I'll say the jokes and it's doing bad, but I can hear myself saying I'll actually be able to receive it like someone who hasn't heard it before. And it only happens when I go on stage and say it through the microphone. When I'm writing it down, it's hard for me to visualize what it sounds like being said to you for the first time yeah which is kind of the tricky part about to me about writing jokes is yeah how you can never know what it sounds like not having thought of it before yeah absolutely and I find uh for me the problem is that like I will think things are really funny because I think they're funny and I'll get on stage and I'll be like damn this was not funny to an audience of 40 50 100 people this was only funny to one person and it was me so yeah. and I feel that way all but the you time. cannot learn yeah. that until you you say it uh completely <laughs> and like I very very rarely do I get though that when I go on stage and I say the line and it I thought it was funny before and it ends up not being funny and being totally blindsided about it not being funny I'll usually say it out loud and I'll be like oh I get why some people didn't get what I meant yeah but only in the moment of saying it into the microphone for the people for some reason it never clicks during the time of writing yeah, totally. I get that. Um, moving right along. I I know that you often collaborate with people on your writing, uh, especially with another phenomenal comic who I want to shout out, Sam Dickey. Um, do you prefer writing collaboratively or writing in a solo setting? Um, I think me and Sam have um, a very shared way of thinking about things where I feel like we write extremely fast together. We... we uh, we generate a lot of good ideas, but um, the actual like turning the ideas into a joke, I can't really do that with somebody else. Like the tr- mm. the actual like structuring and moving things around, it ends up being a. Uh, I prefer doing that just by myself, and I also look crazy because I'm usually pacing around and muttering. It's yeah, you can't be a person around somebody and assemble. Oh no, this spells bad news for the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Well, we'll get to that later. (laughs) So does it ever become an issue? Um, I guess it sounds like it doesn't become an issue for you guys to discuss like ownership of the things that you write together then because you're writing like 
maybe the act of writing is being done together, but the product is separate. Yeah, and I think uh, it's pretty clear who came up with the idea. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Someone usually has the spark, and then everyone we both we both pitch ideas around it. But uh, and there are definitely times where we're both thinking about things that are not the same joke, but eh, along similar lines because we're talking and hanging out mm-hmm. a lot. But uh, there's never really been like an issue with like. I want to use that, but you also want to use that. The, totally. the lines are implied, but pretty clear. Awesome. Um, I've always wondered about how you guys write together, and I, 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 I love, um, I love when you do like paper machete or something, and you yeah. do the little at the end of it. You're like, this was written in 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 collaboration with Sam Dickey, and I'm always like, that is so great. Yeah. I love, I love both of you guys, and it's so cool how much you work together. Thanks. Those pieces are definitely pure collaboration. Those are written actually together like stand up we don't really write the actual lines to like line by line together but a, a handful of those especially those earlier pair of machetes we kind of co-wrote like sitting next to a laptop yeah assembling which feels very different totally and uh for listeners who might not be based in chicago or might be based in chicago but aren't familiar with it uh paper machete is a weekly show here that uh is strictly current events based and so everyone has to write new papers new essays new jokes in the week of the show Mm -hmm. and so uh you do get people writing collaboratively fairly often on that because it's it's such a it's it's a it's a task it's a tight deadline yeah it's a tight but uh, it is, it's an awesome show and it speaks to a lot of social issues and things like that. And that actually leads into the next thing I want to talk to you about because I love the way that you speak to social issues in your comedy, like uh, classism and wealth disparity. And one of my favorite examples of this from your special at the yard is from your section of the special that's devoted to nepotism. And uh, let's, I've got a clip here. Let's take a listen to that. I'm not saying we should kidnap Preston Bezos. <laughs> Literally, I'm not saying we should kidnap Preston <laughs> Bezos. But hypothetically, if we worked, we wouldn't have to be violent. We don't need to like tie his hands and feet together and throw him in a trunk. Just make him sit in the bad seat of a Honda Civic. <laughs> he went, this is the worst day of my life. I've never had this little late room. <laughs> don't lock him in a basement. Just make him stay in a studio apartment with no AC and <laughs> Come crawling home to daddy. (laughs) So I wanted to use that clip and talk about this joke because I love the approach that you've taken here where you, um, like we all think the ultra wealthy are bad. I mean, if you're ultra wealthy and listening to this, what are you doing? Uh, (laughs) But uh, we all think those people are bad and it's easy to just point at them and say, you're bad, but you don't do that. You, um, You instead highlight the distance between us by pointing out that if they were to consider things that we, or if they were to experience things that we consider normal, they would consider that suffering, right? Uh, And so I've seen you approach like many subjects this way where you take parts of the whole and dissect those. Uh, And it's really interesting because it's so direct and overt in its meaning, but the way you write it, uh, it could potentially trick listeners into thinking that you're being apolitical in a way. Uh, and I guess I wonder, like, how did you come to develop such a strong skill of, like, being incisive and subversive with your commentary on issues like that? Yeah, I think a big thing I think about when I write is I really care about takes being original um, and not just other comedians. But I really don't I really even want to take I have to not be seen on 
like Twitter or even just people talking about this. So I started doing this nepotism stuff. I feel like even before like the Nepo baby thing came out. So even that felt, but I was really- uh, So you're kind of like the Nepo daddy of nepotism jokes. I started it, yeah. but uh, I was really reluctant to dive because a lot of people, it was popular, I think, I mean, still is, but going after Jeff Bezos and kind of talking about these billionaires um, and even like being like, I'm going to whoop his ass if I see him. And I was really, I mean, I thought my ideas about Nemesis were original, but I was really trying to stay away from uh, just talking about Jeff Bezos. So that kind of sparked this idea of going after Preston Bezos, who I just Googled Jeff Bezos' son and found all his information. And uh, I kind of followed the road from there that suddenly I was talking about nepotism and this person no one's heard of, no one's heard of Preston before. And that kind of sparked all these ideas of like, um, what would ransoming Preston Bezos? And I also do like this uh, idea of when every take I have on stage should be, I think the funniest ones are you saying something that's like a tad unlikable. Mm-hmm. I don't like any joke. I am really welcome to any joke that is the right take to have. Like just saying billionaires are bad for me is somewhat boring. Yeah. It, it is sort of fun to threaten violence against somebody. <laughs> and it's even funnier when it's somebody who's probably done nothing Ron themselves object I means like someone who's uh, caught in the crossfire almost. I think it's also a little different to hear a threat of violence coming from you because yes, you're yes. not you're not necessarily the most imposing person. Like no, you're not a yeah. scary person. Yeah, press someone would whoop, so, whoop my yeah. ass if he saw me. <laughs> but uh, I um I think that uh, I think that your approach is so so clever and uh, so. Like I said, like I think that you can you can trick people into being on your side who aren't necessarily on your side or maybe not fully bought into what you're saying. Yeah. Just because you don't take that obvious approach. You take like a little bit and you build on it and you get to the point by getting the um the small details to be enlarged and show a bigger example of what you're talking about. Thanks. Yeah. And uh and yeah, and generally just uh, I, I and just going to your point about taking like micro details. I do think having original taint takes um, usually requires getting more specific. It's hard to have a general um, take that hasn't been had before. Yeah. But getting really specific with your ideas can make it that only you've really said this. So that kind of unveils itself with like, yeah, talking about when you're, no one's really taught too much about ransoming a person and yeah. what, ransoming a rich person, what that would uh, look like. And that just has, um, I was trying to get specific to be original. Sure. What are, um, we're kind of touching on this already. Uh, what are, what are some things that stick out to you as being examples of good writing when you're listening to other people's comedy? Yeah. I, I think like I have a pretty, um, I appreciate different styles. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing that, and this is my some of my favorite comics. Like uh, I like Roy Wood Jr. a lot and Michelle Wolf. I uh, they're I, both so brilliant, and the, Roy is just a genius. They're incredible. Um, and they, this is sort of what I try to emulate, 
but their style feels a little, I almost call it like thesis based. Like they mm-hmm. have specific points that lead to jokes. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality, and this is the way I write, is that the jokes actually are written first and you come up with a thesis that wraps around it. Um, so it's just a collection of jokes that you string together with points and takes. But when you actually listen to that having heard before, it ends up just sounding like someone's has all these ideas and all these takes. And they're funny enough to add all these little jokes in between to mm-hmm. add to it. So I've always loved that style where, like, it sounds like someone's telling you what they feel or what they believe and what they think and what should be done. And there's all these jokes peppered in between. Yeah. Um, although, and at least for me, the, the jokes are generally, the take, the ideas and the points are sort of modified constantly to make the jokes flow together seamlessly. Yeah, and I think that you, um, you in particular, like it's it's nice to hear you talk about that because you, I don't know if you are intending to talk about your own practice right now when yeah. you're saying these things, but you are such a long form writer and you have a really strong ability about uh, creating a through line from the beginning of your set to the end of your set, even if you're touching on different jokes or different topics, like you're very good at stringing together like, like you did 20 minutes on a show of mine the other day and you probably 15 of those minutes were all interconnected even if they weren't at the same time like in one continuous strip like you're just really great about stringing together and like a narrative thing yeah yeah this was new for me and this was somewhat intense so i in my first four or five years of doing stand-up i only really did one-liners and Short jokes. I um, cannot fathom that. Yeah. When I graduated <laughs> college, I recorded like a half hour. which Of one-liners? Of essentially one-liners. Wow. Um, yeah, I'll send it to you. I keep it unlisted. I'm proud of it, but it's a little too, too <laughs> I'm early. I'm proud of it. I keep it unlisted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is a little early to put out. and just. But uh, when I moved to Chicago, I kind of had this idea of throwing out those jokes and using... And trying to do only uh, long bits. So the special I recorded, I came up with the idea of recording special about a year and a half before, but with the idea of it being four 10-minute long jokes, which it didn't really end up being that in practicality. It was like two 10-minute jokes, one 8-minute joke, and one 5-minute joke. But that was sort of the initial impetus is like, okay, I had this idea. How do I keep writing for it? And it, in, in the practice, it kind of became a little bit of what I think is a more natural style to me is to spend some time on one idea. That's awesome. That's so you're you're so insightful. Uh, <laughs> um, I have one last question for mm-hmm. you before we move on to the next segment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what are some little steps that you think people can take to push their writing to be better? Yeah, I think f- I think really important, and this is kind of harping on something I've said before, is I think people should strive to have something that they think's never been uttered in not just comedy, but in other things. I think people have jokes or ideas that are somewhat unique, but uh, I think, and this might not be true, maybe this is I'm very online and very, and I try to watch a lot of comedy and watch and see a lot of people writing and thinking about things, but I, I've noticed a lot of comics have a premise that's been set on Twitter, mm-hmm. and they say the premise, and then they build on it with their own unique jokes, but I think that... Um, everything has to be original. I think you can't start with um, an idea that someone else has thought of. Um, or y- you can do whatever you want, but I think jokes are better when every part of it feels wholly unique. 
you and I are going to have to record a second episode where we talk about what originality means because I have so many arguments against this right yeah, now. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, I think that um, I think that you're essentially right. I think that uh, it's so important to like grab onto something that you have not heard before at yeah, least and yeah. try your best to try your best to flesh that idea out and push it into like mold it into something that's worthwhile, like worth talking about. So yeah. And no, I I feel ve- I have all the and we should chat about it at some point. I have all these strong opinions on originality, and I do think a lot of punchlines too are uh, are somewhat unoriginal. I mean, there are a lot of jokes by good comedians and by um, some and by a lot of comedians which are essentially the same joke as somebody else. I mean, a different premise, but in terms of the turn and in terms of the actual style, it's just uh, the same template put in a different kind of joke, mm-hmm. which is okay sometimes, but. Uh, I, I do think that makes the things, the jokes, less interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, there's so much stuff written. It's not an easy job, and it's mostly what you should be striving for. But I think that if you don't have – I think it's important to have some slight weighing or guilt when you kind of know in the back of your head that this isn't truly original. Well, you know what time it is. Mm-hmm. I'm psyched for this part. Oh, all right. So listeners, this is going to be a little experiment. Uh, I would love to take the opportunity with you, Dia, to try and write a joke with you. Yeah. If you're up for that. And I have two options for you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You can either tell me something that you have been wanting to write about and have yet to write about, or yeah. we can use a random word to kind of prompt us. Interesting. Um, let's do the random. I definitely have some ideas, but I would... I am almost fond enough of them to try and keep them for myself. Totally, and anything that we come up with, you can have. Uh, <laughs> this is mine. all. Yeah, this yeah, is all yeah. yours. Good or bad, it's yours. Uh-huh, if it's uh-huh. bad, you have to say it on stage. Okay, agreed. Uh, agreed. So the word that we got is mm-hmm. constellation. Are you wanna you wanna run with that? Yeah, that's a great word. Awesome. All right. So constellation, and we are writing starting now. What do you think of when you think of the word constellation? Yeah, I guess the uh, the first initial ideas, which. And this is also my 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 fear of being. Is I I can't remember if I've heard this before, but I always think about how constellations don't really look like, like the actual star pattern doesn't look like what the constellation is supposed to be. It means they have four stars, and it's supposed to be a dog, and, and it's, it's supposed like... to be a dog. <laughs> but I feel like I've heard these these ideas totally. before. I think about um it made me think of stars first obviously mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. then made me think about astrology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh and I think that um I think that these are kind of I think we're in the same circle. Uh-huh, I think uh-huh. we're kind of orbiting each other right, right now, which is good. I love it. Orbiting. Um <laughs> totally. Uh I I think there's something to what you're saying and I don't think it's wholly unoriginal. Uh-huh, uh-huh, um uh-huh. I I I don't want to just like outright make fun of astrology. I know that right off the bat. That's right, something right. that speaks to me. Not like I'm not into it, but I have a lot of friends who are into of it, course, and I yeah. I respect that they're into it. Uh, and I think a lot of people just make fun of it. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's something funny about thinking about how much people um, relate to their astrological signs. Yeah, totally. And I think that what you were talking about actually is in connection with that. Like, like I'm a Taurus, right. and the bull, like the it's the ast- overinterpretation that Ye- fits your yeah like, right. Like this looks like uh, a bull whose ex is not treating him right. Something like oh, that. Oh, we can go down that. <laughs> we can go down that path. Uh, we'll get personal. Uh, 
Oh, not not in relation to you. No, I'm just, just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, totally. Um, no, uh, I think there's something there about how like uh, like people connect to their astrological signs and yeah. kind of project them onto themselves. Right. And, right. Oh, let's see. What do you think? Yeah. So I mean, this is my and I. I this is the the research the, the the question the googling part of it, but uh, I don't know much about astrology. But do they have constellations that are associated with each mm-hmm. sign? Okay, mm-hmm. got it. So like the Taurus is an actual constellation. Yeah, I see. Yeah, and it, it supposedly looks like a bull. I don't think it looks right. like a bull. And but... it's all, the constellation is only visible during that month that the astrology is associated. I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to have that sacred knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, let's see. How how would you approach this if I were Sam? Oh. Um, well, we kind of start, and I definitely start by just pitching general ideas. So mm-hmm. this is like one general idea is this idea of astrology and this over-interpretation. So we, I guess we, we first do a horizontal sweep of um, possible ideas. Cool. So we wouldn't delve too deep into one idea unless that was like the idea for yeah. sure. Um, but I do like this. I do think that there's something there with this astrology. The other thing, I mean, just to say all the things I immediately thought of before we, we dive, because you have to dive to write, write a joke. Mm-hmm. Also, what? how much time do we have? Oh, don't worry about that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so the other idea I had is... Uh, Constellations really only made sense like before pollution. Like it's it, it is funny to me to imagine like in a hundred years, like the constellations are gonna make even less sense because of all the light and pollution. No one's gonna yeah, be able to see totally. the stars anymore. Oh man, and maybe like uh, there's something there. There could be a premise there where like your uh, environmental footprint impacts your astrological That's chart fine. or something. Like, right, right. Like the like oh I. I I would be such a Taurus, but I flew on a private jet, so I'm like... <laughs> no, completely. You're looking up at, at, your, at your sign, and it's like, uh, do you see it? And it's like, no, there's a... Oh, right right by that big cloud of smog. If you look right past that, and... Uh, oh, I know there's wildfire smoke coming from the north, but if you look carefully, you should see I love yourself. that. Like, oh, my God. Like, hold on, hold on. I, mm-hmm. we, I feel like we've got something. Yeah. Uh, like, as, as pollution increases, people just start losing their personality traits. That's because fine. Right. Because they no longer can connect with these constellations in the sky. Right, right. You only see one... One star of the tour of, of what well, mates of the tour. It's just the <laughs> eye. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, God, that's so bleak, uh, but also really funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, and just going back to the initial, like these constellations made a lot more sense before there was all these lights. Like the reason why people had all these strong personalities is the Taurus was forty-five stars you could see, so it had a personality and a face, and it was attacking another constellation even now like we live here in chicago we can't see the stars Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. so maybe there are people maybe there could be people who are like profiting off astrological retreats that are just like camping in the countryside so you can see your your zodiac sign that has to be true that has to be happening (laughs) right yeah you can't even you just have to believe in your astrological sign you can't even be you can't even be sure oh man Okay, so we've got that. We've got the pollution thing. Okay, so how would we structure this for the stage? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. I like these ideas, and I actually think this this could be a a, a strong joke. Yeah, I would. I the way I approach these things is 
in order for me to write jokes, I try to distill it to one simple point. Because right now there's kind of multiple ideas floating around the same general theme. There's this, yeah, this idea of um, like astrology and the way mm-hmm. people approach that. There's this idea of pollution, like that literally the stars are harder to see in the present times. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just also this idea of like how constellations affect personality. Mm-hmm. And I would try and start with trying to distill it into either choose one thing or try and combine it into a simple point. Yeah. Um, just to make the setup of the first joke easier. Like if you were to intro the topic, what would be the sort of simplest, quickest way to both bring up the idea and make a point? Right. Like I I wanted to get to know myself better and so uh-huh, I uh-huh. drove to the middle of Wisconsin and <laughs> stared at the sky because there was no light pollution and I started to understand why I like to lay on the couch and watch TV. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And and I almost want to like the the fun part of like the light pollution is you want that to be a surprise. Like you want that to kind of emerge. Right. I can even imagine making a story like um, me and some other tourists got together to go look at our constellation mm-hmm. and uh, none of us could see it. I mean, for some reason that's like funnier to imagine to me, the idea of everyone getting together to look up at their thing Yeah, and there's too much light pollution <sighs> to be able to see it. Um, this is so not connected and maybe a diversion and I'm so sorry, but no, imagine this is perfect. Yeah. it's so funny to imagine uh, like this scenario where like people are in a city like Chicago or New York or something and trying to see their astrological sign. But yes. it's interrupted by like the Batman symbol <laughs> being projected into the sky. Or no, something. I love I mean, <laughs> and it also just gives rise like the, the, the fun. Uh, and this is also tangential. And this is also kind of how I means how I would go through these things is kind of let the ideas kind of spin off each other. Yeah. As I love the idea that most people who believe in astrology live in the city where they can't see their constellation. Yes. Everyone I mean, who's in the country doesn't, they believe in God, but <laughs> they, they look up in the sky and they see, they see the, to- the Taurus and, uh, and cancer. And I don't know any others. Libra, Libra Aquarius, Sagittarius. Yeah, you see, they, they see all 12 of them staring at each other. I think they're, are they 12? Are they 13? 13. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no clue. Um, yeah, no. Okay, so we've got maybe this podcast will just be named "How to Write a Premise." Uh-huh, uh-huh. We've got a premise at least uh, that that people um, that you you can't really connect with yourself through astrology when you live in a place with light pollution, and so yeah. I mean, I really think that's the the simplest. I mean, I think we're getting close to the, the like saying the word pollution and saying like air quality. It's it's too complicated. Yeah, I just like the simple idea of. In a city, you can't see the stars as like a, a very frank starting point. You don't even have to say light pollution. You can just be like, it's hard to see the stars, but we're the people who believe in the stars the most. Right. Um, and and I would start with that and and then think of the punchline. Cause that's, that's a great setup. It means it's a premise yes. and also a setup. And it almost like just saying that like the people who believe in the stars live in cities who can't see the stars um and yeah it almost i'm sure with a little bit of musing there's 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 already there's definitely something there we're gonna have a we're gonna have a part two session where we Uh finish this out yeah Um, yeah yeah unfortunately we are 
out of time. Yeah, we hit the uh, we didn't we get the buzzer it. beater. We didn't we didn't get the punchline in, but I think that we did get a strong premise in, and I think that counts for something. I mean, in my own writing sessions, if I spend 15 minutes on something, I have a premise I'm excited about, which I am about this. I would be like amazing and that was session. less than 10 minutes so <laughs> no i think I, this was wholly successful for me awesome i'm so happy to hear that well um dia it's been such a pleasure to have you on Answer. thank you so much for being my first guest i had a blast yeah this is a, such a great podcast oh oh wow before it even comes out you've got opinions it's thank the best you one. <laughs> it's number one in iTunes already. <laughs> okay okay hold on be careful there's another really great podcast called crushes that someone in this room works on so let's be careful oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, first <laughs> shout out to um the person helping us record the podcast today deanna ortiz who runs the podcast crushes uh we thank her for her help and um thank you thank you thank you so much dia uh thank you i'm gonna i'm gonna close this out is that okay go for it all right thank you again to our guest today dia Bazrai, who you can follow on instagram at dia Bazrai or on twitter at dia comedy Uh, You can watch his special, The Yard Presents Dia Basrai, on YouTube, and you should. A huge thanks to Michael Salas Holtzman for creating the music for the pod, and another huge thanks to John O'Neill for editing the podcast, and the biggest thanks of all to the Lincoln Lodge in Chicago, Illinois, the heart of the Chicago comedy scene, where this podcast is produced and recorded. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time. Powder